Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Church, as you uh, take your seat and our worship team finds their seats as well, I would like to open uh, with a word of prayer. God, as we dive back into your word today and take a look at what you say to us in Psalm 31, Lord, I pray that we would be a people of praise. God, that even in a world that comes against Christ and His people, that we would be able to see through to the other side. God, that, that we would be able to see what has been accomplished for Your church in Christ, and that we would lean into that afresh with a, a resolve and a courage that can only come by way of Your Holy Spirit. God, open our eyes that we might see the beautiful things in Your Word this day. Speak, God, we pray for the glory of your Son, and we pray it in his name. Amen. Psalm 31. Psalm 31. We've been working our way this summer through some psalms, and I'm still uh, praying through what God would have me to preach next week when we have our special outdoor service. It may or may not be from the psalms. Uh, there's several texts that I've been wrestling through, but so this might be the end of summer in the psalms. Uh, today. So I hope God has been speaking to you as we've made our way through Psalm 25 now to Psalm 31. If you've got your copy of God's Word, please join me in turning there. We covered verses 1 through 13 last week. We'll dive in at verse 14 today uh, in just a few moments, but I think it's important that we set the context. Uh, if perhaps you missed last week's message or you're breaking in for the first time. So let me set that context for just a moment. David is, as he, as he is in so many of his psalms, he is under enemy attack. And in this case, the attacks are so wearying that even his friends and neighbors are abandoning him. He's, he's in a battle, but the battle is not just about David. It is also about righteousness, and not just anybody's righteousness, but the, the Lord's righteousness. So David is endeavoring to follow the Lord and and the Lord's righteousness is, is at stake. So he can't just give up or, or just give in to his enemies. He, he's got to fight this battle like so many battles in your life. In, in your marriage and in your singleness and in your parenting, most of the battles that you face are not just trivial things. They are, they are things that fundamentally get down to the root of what does God want for my life. And what the world wants you to do is just stop waging the war. Just give in and say, well, it doesn't really matter. But it does matter because the Lord's righteousness matters. And you've been saved by the righteousness of God through Christ. So we can't just give up, throw in the towel and say, well, if they win and I lose, it doesn't matter. It's not that kind of a battle. It's a, it's a battle that's important. So David calls out to his Lord, he calls out to Yahweh to be his rock and his refuge and his fortress. 
And his only hope is that God would deliver him from these enemies. In verse 13, David is surrounded and it seems as though these enemies are going to take his life. And in all of this, we see a picture of the victory that's going to come to David and to us ultimately through Jesus. Although Jesus never sinned, he would die for sin as though it were his own. In verse 10, you might be saying, well, how is this psalm about Jesus and about David? When in verse 10, the psalmist talks about my iniquity. And we know that David was a sinner and that Jesus was sinless. But Jesus, being sinless, was able to take our sin upon himself and to die for it as though it were his own so that he could remove the penalty so that we could be saved from the death that we deserve. This is the wonder of the gospel. That Jesus left heaven, the eternal Son of God, left the glory of heaven to take our place. Philippians 2 says it this way, To become a man, not just any man, but a slave. And not just any slave, but a slave who would die. And not just die, but he would die on a cross to bear the punishment due your and my sin. Jesus obeyed the Father as a man. I think sometimes we forget that. He was the eternal Son of God and Therefore, he had like superpowers to obey. But Jesus obeyed the Father just like you and I are supposed to obey. He faced temptation like we face. And he never gave in to the temptation so that his righteous life could count in our place. And when someone is plotting to take your life like they were David's life and later Jesus' life, verse 13, or, or perhaps when someone is plotting to take your job, or your reputation, or your friends, or your relationships, or someone is plotting to take the mind and heart of your child with teachings and ideologies that are anti-Christ. There is a real temptation to just give in to the enemies and to take the easy way out, to do whatever the world says is most convenient for maintaining the status quo and not ruffling any feathers. Do whatever is easiest and comfortable now because I just don't think it's worth the battle. Been there? Do I really have to take a stand one more time? Is God really calling me to sacrifice in this way for the sake of righteousness? Because Fighting for righteousness in your marriage and in the minds and hearts of your children and in your family, it will cost you something. It costs Jesus His life. And yet the promise of Christ remains. It is not in believing the lies of the enemies that we will be satisfied. It is rather in hungering and thirsting and giving our life for the sake of the kingdom and for righteousness. It is those who are filled, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. So as we break into verse 14 today, we've got to feel the pressure of the moment. He's just told us in verse 13, my life is on the line. He is counting the cost of following Yahweh, and the costs are high. It might even take his life. Notice what he says in verse 14. How how do we, in those moments when we are pressed, to make decisions for following the Lord. How do we do it when it's going to cost us something that's important to us and perhaps even our lives? Verse 14. 
is a, worth, is a verse worth memorizing. But I trust in you, O oh Lord. I say you are my God. Think about that. The enemies want to become your God. They want your selfishness to become your God. They want the easy way out to become your God. And, and in that moment where it may cost his life, David simply says, I trust in you, O oh Lord. You are my God. Some of you, that, that's the sermon today. Wherever you are, you need to say to God, I'm not bowing out on you. If following you takes my life, you're my God. My life is in your hands. Which is what verse 15 says. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. What I want you to see in verses 14 and 15 is this. To win like Jesus, to win like God's king, we have to entrust every moment of meaningful decision to the Lord. We've got to entrust every moment of meaningful decision to the Lord. We don't, we don't get any passes. We don't get any cop-outs. We don't get any, Lord, you know what? I'm just going to skip over this section of my life and catch up with you in 15 years. Every moment of meaningful decision, we surrender to the Lordship of Christ. We see in verses 14 all the way down through 18, this prayer of faith. Nothing seems like it's going well in his life. Terror is on every side. His life hangs in the balance. His friends abandon him and he still says, I trust in you, Lord. My circumstances say I'm a dead man, but God, I trust you. I will not trade my faithfulness to you for safety in this world. I will not give my enemies what they want, which is my soul. I would rather die pursuing you and your righteousness. God, I put my life in your hand, verse 5, and now I put my times in your hand, verse 15. This is such an important concept for us to grasp, church. We don't just give Jesus our heart when we're 10 years old and walk an aisle and get wet. When we give Jesus our heart, we enter into a life of giving Him ourselves and our times. I put everything that I am, every moment of my day, into your hand. Trusting Jesus is far more than just trusting Him one time. It's trusting Him today and tomorrow and the next day and believing when you are faced with adversity, God is still good and He is worthy of you putting your life in His hands all over again. I think, church, we can improve in this area in our lives in terms of helping to sanctify one another, being used by the Spirit to spur one another on to love and good deeds. So often we ask, and I'm guilty of it, I, I'm, I'm, I do it all the time, how you doing? That's not a bad question. It's good to want to know how people are doing, if you honestly want to know how people are doing. But I think a better question as believers might be something like this. How's your walk with Jesus right now? What has God been teaching you in the last month? What if, what if we started asking one another that question? What if we started expecting to be asked that question and to give an answer? What is God showing you right now? I pray God's showing you some things in, in your work and in your marriage. 
The, the proof of our trust in the Lord comes when we give Him our lives when things are less than ideal. Even when they're painful. Wilson says this, David sees life as made up of, made up of a series of decisive moments in which a person can either take the appropriate action or the inappropriate action, depending on how they respond to their circumstances. One response that we might choose is to seek control and try to manipulate the situation to our advantage. The other is to simply surrender our will to the power and authority of God. And David chooses the path of surrender. He is He is resolved that his present circumstances, even if he dies, are not going to cloud his view of the greatness and the worthiness and the righteousness of the Lord. The Lord knows his enemies. The Lord knows the the motives and the methods of his enemies. He He knows of every moment that David has taken that has led to where David is. And he knows the very moment that he's going to answer God's, excuse me, David's prayer In the second half of verse 15, do you see that? Rescue me from the hand of my enemies. Not, God, I'm going to go accommodate my enemies. Not, God, I'm going to go play the game of life with my enemies. I'm going to follow you, and while I follow you, you take care of my enemies. And we know that in David's case, the Lord answered his prayer. How do we know that? Because David wrote this psalm. If he'd have died, I don't think we'd have this psalm. So the Lord delivers David. He writes the psalm. And we know that the psalm is pointing us to an even greater deliverance that comes through Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ, the eternally begotten Son of God who left heaven to die for us and actually did die. But He was raised on the third day so that we could trust in Him and have every confidence in, our face, in the face of enemies that God will raise us as well. So let me ask us a question, church. In the way of application this morning, how are you doing in the decisive moments of life? I'm not talking about when you go into a convenience store and you've already decided you're going to have a candy bar and you're not sure if it's going to be Reese Cups or, I don't know, a Mounds Bar. I mean, you've already decided you're going to have a candy bar, so get whatever you want. I'm talking about the decisive moments moments of life, the critical questions of life. What are the overriding factors in your mind and in your heart as you make decisions? Are you catering to yourself or are you serving the Savior? Are the overriding factors in your marriage and in your budgeting and in your calendaring are the factors that come to the top of your mind, the glory of God and the good of your church and your personal holiness and the advance of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, are those the things that are at the top of your list or are they lesser self-serving things? The priorities of a Christian who wins the battle are the glory of God in all the earth. The upbuilding of Christ's church, no matter what it costs me. The salvation of sinners in my workplace and in my school and wherever I go. Are these the things that I'm prioritizing? Are we dying to self and trusting Jesus to meet us with resurrection power to sustain us and strengthen us as we choose Jesus over selfishness? In our lives 
in our society, in our cultural moment, church, we are facing real points of decision. And in Jesus, and in Jesus alone, we have been freed to choose to glorify our King no matter what it costs us because Jesus will be victorious. He's proven it when he was raised from the dead and he's coming again and we ought to be the people in the world who live for him no matter what. You say, well, that's hard. There's times I don't want to do that. There's times I just want to throw in the towel. Pastor, do you ever face that? Oh yeah, (laughs) absolutely. But I'm reminded of what David says next in verses 16 through 18. That when the enemy comes and tempts me to to believe, oh, just take a day off, take a week off, take a month off of living for the kingdom and just live for yourself for a little while. Just give yourself a, a break in the midst of this battle. I'm reminded of what David says in verse 16. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. What does David want more than he wants to get out of the battle? He wants the presence of God in his life. And God is there in the battle. Verse 17, O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Do you you feel the tension? The enemies are saying you're going to be put to shame because you're not going to have the biggest house in the world. You're not going to get that promotion if you follow Jesus. Your kids are going to be thought of as weird if you put the gospel into their hearts and they show up like little evangelists in the classroom. You're going to be put to shame. And David says, I don't want to be put to shame. You put them to shame, God. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. What we see in verses 16 through 18 is to live like the king, to live victorious like King Jesus. We must seek the Lord's face rather than the praise of our enemies. We must seek the Lord's presence rather than all the presence that our enemies promise. When we hear that following Jesus means giving Him every meaningful moment of decision, that means where we live, what we do as our occupation, whom we marry, how we conduct ourselves in marriage, how large of a house that we buy, whether to buy a new car or a used car. i got to be honest with you. When I apply the grid, the filter of decision-making of the kingdom to my decisions in everyday life, here's what happens to me. My flesh screams out, but what about me? I want, I want, I want. I deserve, I deserve, I need. You don't know how long I've done this or how long I've done that or where I've been. Why can't I just cater to myself for a little while? Is this on? Okay. I'm slowly trying to get back into running. I love running as an illustration and so did the Apostle Paul. So it's an appropriate illustration. But every time I get to the bottom of Webster Hill, right now in my training regimen, I got these two things right here that used to be called quadriceps. And now when I get to the bottom of Webster Hill, my quadriceps are what is left of them after 25 years of inactivity. They scream out, this hurts. We don't like it. 
can't you just stop and walk back down the hill rather than going up the hill? Anybody been there? Trying to get back in shape? My, my quads right now are a pair of selfish whiners. And I wish they would just shut their mouths. Because the health that I'm pursuing is worth the pain that I'm enduring. But in the moment, it doesn't always feel that way. Halfway up Webster, I'm saying, Woo boy, I'm not so sure this is worth it. Church is like that when we follow Jesus. We, we say, like David in verse 5, you, you have my spirit. We say, like David in verse 15, you have my times. You have every moment of my life. And then something really tragic, really hard happens. And we're like, oh, wait. Following you means following you through that? Oh, wait. Following you means letting go of that? Hold on a second, Jesus. Following you means forgiving them? Hold on. You're asking me, Jesus, to change my mind about something that I've always thought in accordance with what your word says? You want me to conform the life of my church and my marriage to your word, even though I've always read it this way or assumed it this way, but now you're showing me something different, and i got to change what I think about that? And in those moments, whether they're in your parenting or your marriage or your church life or wherever God takes you, the selfish quadriceps of your soul start to scream out, what about me? And we need to be reminded, as David reminds himself in verse 16, that the presence of God, which is where spiritual health is, is more desirable than anything that we would endure in this present pilgrimage to behold the matchless face of Jesus. And in verse 16, David prays, Make your face shine on your servant. If I have to endure pain, if I have to endure death, so be it. But give me your face. God, I want to see you. He wants more than anything else to know the presence of God. So he refuses, even under the threat of death, to compromise with the enemies as they threaten his life. Even if David dies, David will trust the Lord to rescue him. Do you see it in verse 16? In his steadfast love. He believes even through death that God will be faithful to his covenant. Jesus has lived out this psalm in full. He didn't stop at the bottom of Calvary's hill because of the pain. He went as a suffering servant, servant longing to enjoy the face of his Father. And because Jesus did not stop at the bottom of Calvary's hill, but endured the cross and conquered the grave, He will now meet us with divine power through the presence of the Holy Spirit as you refuse to be deterred by the hills that you face along the way when the quadriceps of your soul cry out, I can't do it. Jesus will meet you right there and He will say, yes, you can. Not in your strength, but in mine. The only way to have joy in the Christian life is to be selfless toward others as Jesus was selfless towards you. If we are in Christ, denying self, cross-carrying is what we do. It is life to us. And if it's not 
the Bible says it's possible we're still dead in our trespasses and sins. If you're here this morning and say, denying self so that the Savior would be exalted, walking a path of enemy attack and carrying my cross, no thank you, then you may not yet fully understand the gospel. Because Jesus only asks you to carry the cross for a little while. So that others will see the one who carried the cross so that you could dwell with him in eternity. There's going to be a day when you stand before Jesus if you are in him and if you've trusted him. And your enemies will be vanquished and you will be victorious forever. But for a little while, Jesus has commissioned us to live as he lived in a dark and dying world. So others will know that our faith is real. I'm so glad that Jesus' controlling desire was not avoiding pain, but rather knowing the eternal joy of pleasing His Father. Because if Jesus had wanted to avoid pain, He was God, He full well could have. But He said, I'll take the pain of the cross so that others may know the joy of the presence of God. And if we are in Christ, the Spirit helps us live as Christ lived in the world. To desire above all to serve the Lord and know His presence. Deciding to be at church regularly is going to cost you something. But the face of Jesus awaits you. Deciding to get regularly involved in a 3D group at 9.15 on Sunday morning, it will cost you something. A little bit of sleep, perhaps. Might have to make, turn that coffee maker on the night before. Set it on automatic. It will cost you something, but the face of Jesus awaits Deciding to adopt a family budget that begins with generous support of your local church will cost you something. But the face of Jesus awaits. Prioritizing the spiritual lives of your children more than the size of your house or the amount in your bank account is going to cost you something. But the face of Jesus awaits. Do you believe this? Do you believe that in the sacrifice there's something sweet and it is the presence of the Savior who gave His life for you? Do you believe that this morning? Does your calendar show that this morning? Do your children know that this morning? Does your checkbook confirm that this morning? Or is it just a charade and a show for you? Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I'm not just talking about your money, but I am talking about your money. But I'm talking about the everything that you treasure. Do you treasure Jesus? Could somebody inspect your life beyond the smile on your face and know that you treasure Christ and His kingdom above all other things? Because that's where the presence of God is. You say, I'm so joyless. Why are you joyless? Are you treasuring Jesus? When faced with enemy attack, the Lord's king does not seek to save his face, but to behold the Lord's face. What about the enemies that keep, keep surrounding and threatening the king? David calls upon the Lord to, to deliver him from death and into his presence and asks the Lord to, to take care of his wicked enemies. The enemies threaten to shame God's king, but it is the enemies who face everlasting shame in Sheol. The enemy's lies and pride and contempt, verse 18, for the Lord are going to be exposed and judged one day, so why should we listen to them now? 
We hear the temptation of our enemies toward prideful and selfish rebellion against God, but we renounce them. We turn our back toward them and we look toward Jesus and seek His face because we prefer to know and encounter Jesus than to give in and win for a moment with our enemies. To win like the Lord's King, we need this sort of perspective on our battles. What I want most in my life is what Jesus wants for me. I want to know His presence in my life. We must believe that knowing and enjoying God's presence is a greater joy than anything that the enemies promise to us or withhold from us. That was David's perspective. And it was the perspective of Jesus as He endured the cross with joy. And if we are saved, we are in Christ. It is our perspective as well. As the Holy Spirit is working in us, His church, we are being called to be His hands and His feet in the world, laying our lives down, resisting our enemies, so that Jesus might be magnified. And in the interest of time, I'm actually going to do Psalm 31, 19 and following next week. Because I feel like this is where God wants me to end for today. Are you seeking the face of the Savior? In the moments of testing, of temptation, to stop looking to Jesus and start looking to the world, how are you responding? As God looks at your life, is it a living demonstration of someone who has consecrated themselves to seeking the face of Jesus no matter what? And I submit to you in a room this size and over in the gymnasium and online, I I trust by the way of God's Spirit that He has brought some measure of conviction to your life. And my my question to you is this, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to leave today unchanged? Or will you lean into the opportunity that the Spirit is presenting you right now to go all in for the sake of Christ and His kingdom? I don't know what area of life that is for you, but King Jesus does. And as our instrumentalists come, and as I pray, I want to invite you as we sing out to do business with Christ. This altar will be open. You can pray. You say, I want to remain seated and pray where I am. I don't feel like I can even sing until I release this thing to God. Then stay in your seat and cry out to God until you're ready to stand and sing. But don't don't let this be another day where you come and you sit and you listen and you process and God says something. And then you walk away and do nothing. Whatever you need to do with Christ, I beg of you for the glory of our King who gave His life for you. Wherever He is calling you to give your life for Him, I pray that you would do it. Let's pray together. God in heaven, we are powerless to live as Christ lived without the Spirit of God in our lives, without knowing your presence. And I I sense in a real way this morning, there are some who, God, they've believed in you, they've trusted in you, but they have encountered some hard decisions. And rather than deciding for Christ, they've just thrown in the towel. 
they're just coasting in their marriage. They're coasting in their parenting. God, they're, they're coasting in their generous giving. God, they're, they've got a little bit of Jesus in the margins of their life, and you're reminding them today that Jesus is life. God, I, I pray that you would revive our church. That we would be a church that is expecting you to do something in our lives. That we would ask one another, what is God showing you? What is Jesus teaching you? And God, that we would not hold Jesus at arm's length, but that he would be our very life, no matter what it costs us. And I ask it and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke Podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.